It's nice to be here. I haven't yet seen your center, so it's really lovely to see you found a home. Um, I'm going to give a talk tonight on uncertainty. And I tend to like to give this talk when I'm feeling uncertain. And I don't know if other teachers feel this way, but you can learn a lot when you speak. (laughs) So I thought I needed to hear these words, which is why I chose it for tonight. Usually when we talk about the three characteristics of anicca, anatta, and dukkha, it's usually considered to be impermanence, anicca, anatta, not self, and dukkha, unsatisfactoriness. But there's actually another translation or another synonym for, for actually for anicca, which is uncertainty. And the word is aniyata. And when I heard this, I thought, this is great. The Buddha was actually saying also that things are uncertain. Not only do they change all the time, but they are uncertain. So Life is uncertain. Buddhism 101. Our own lives are uncertain. We often don't know what's going to happen in the next day, today, tomorrow, whenever. Our bodies are really fragile. It's like we, um, if our temperature goes up a little bit, we get sick. If it goes up a little bit more, we die. If it goes down a little bit, we get sick. If it goes down a little bit more, we die. That's tremendous fragility. But we don't really think about it that way. In fact, everything seems very nice and normal and let's live our life with the certainty that we'll be this way from time to time. The countries are changing. The U.S. is engaging in wars and pulling out and back and forth and this changes all the time. There's this tremendous refugee situation going on on the planet right now. There's a sense of people, people who, millions of people who don't have a home, who because of the country borders shifting are losing their place, their place of refuge. The NASDAQ goes up, goes down. I don't need to mention that around here, right? Um, the Dow up, the Dow down. The, there's this moment to moment quality of uncertainty of never knowing what's going to happen and never knowing what's going to happen in our bodies and in our minds in any moment. The interesting thing is that we live as if it were the opposite. We live our life as though things are certain, as though you can count on things. And you see this all around. You see it the way that sort of we hide sickness, we hide old age, we hide death. I mean, we hear about this quite a bit in Buddhist circles, about the way that the Buddha talked about suffering, and then suffering in the culture is hidden. And it's, it's quite interesting because we live with this kind of denial of the uncertainty of things. We want things to be certain. We want things to be true, to be sure. We want empiricism, proof. There's this quality in the culture of, um, of wanting, wanting to know. And I know this. I know this very well within my own mind. This quality, this like, I want to know. I want to be right. I want to be sure. I want to be clear. And I remember hearing this story about His Holiness the Dalai Lama was at a conference several years ago 
with, um, it was one of those Harvard mind science conferences where they brought in some religious and some uh, philosophical people to meet with the scientists. And these are, these are the guys who know. And I say guys, you know, they're, they're the people who really are in the know. And it's in that kind of a setting, you don't want to not know because that's what it's all about. And so apparently they asked His Holiness a question and he just he couldn't understand it and they had to ask him about four or five different times and it was translated back and forth and back and forth. And finally he just said, I don't know. <laughs> and it was a shocking moment in, within this situation, within this culture. And I think that that it's it's so important for us to look inside ourselves at that attachment to knowing, to feeling certain and secure and feeling right. And the Buddha talked about this attachment to views and opinions as being a main source of suffering. So when we believe something and we are very certain, although it feels good, it's actually a cause of suffering. My friends and I made up a word several years ago. We, we instafact. So instafact is a way of um, th- sounding like you know what you're talking about. <laughs> so you could say, oh, well, that happened in 1976, and you just sort of make it up instantly, and then people believe you, oh, because you say it with enough authority. That's true. Oh, okay, I believe you. And I just think of all the times we cling on to these views and opinions when actually we don't know. And I have this one friend say to me, well, you know, has there been moments in your practice where you've known something absolutely to be true and then a month later, a week later, a year later, you realize that you were wrong? And I thought, yeah, many times that's happened. And many times when I've really believed something, um, as you mentioned, I'm working on this book, and it has been amazing to watch my mind go through complete assurance, complete, completely sure that what I'm writing is horrible. I just can't believe how bad it is. How could I write something like this? And then I pick up the exact same thing the next, the next day or a couple days later, and I think, oh, this isn't bad. Wow, this is really going to, you know, people are going to like this maybe. And, but it's the same mind responding to the same thing. And yet there's this clinging on to views and this suffering as I get attached to thinking that these opinions are important. Have you ever been in a relationship and then... Years later, after breaking up, look back on that and think, my God, what was I doing? At the time, there's this clarity, there's this sureness. Yes, I'm certain this is what I should be doing. And then later on, it's kind of, it's a confusing question. So notice, I invite you to notice in your practice when you feel sure about something when you feel really, really certain, and see how that feels. Joseph Goldstein, my teacher, has said, attachment to views causes suffering, even when you're right. (laughs) So even when what we're thinking, it's really true, the U.S. shouldn't start a war with, uh, with Iraq, 
It's true, but that clinging, that clinging that we talk about is where there's the suffering, this wanting to be certain. The opposite is doubt, of course. The opposite is not being certain. And it's a place that I think for many of us it can be really painful. I hate to be in doubt. When I'm in doubt, I just feel, it feels so unpleasant. You know, oh, I don't know. I really don't know. And yet in Dharma circles, we're encouraged to have this don't-know mind. Yet I know for myself, when I don't know, I don't like it. I want to know. I want that. I want to have something that I can hold on to as real and true as knowing. So what is it like to sit in our cushion, sit on our cushion in the middle of doubt? in the middle of that painful feeling of not knowing, of uncertainty. Because actually, the more we explore this, the more we'll see that this is the truth of the way things are. As I laid that out earlier, you know, things are uncertain. We think they're certain. We attach onto that. We're disappointed when we're wrong. But actually, sitting with doubt is the truth of the way things are. I've been going through a period in my life of lots of uncertainty. Things have been shifting in my job and in my um, trying to write. It's been really, it's been quite a process for me. A lot of uncertainty. Oh, will I ever get finished? I went through about a two-week period where I was convinced it would never end. And um, now I'm coming out. I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. I will make my deadline. It's encouraging. But it was just, it's just sitting with this doubt has been extremely painful. I want to know. I want the answer. I want it to be all figured out now. I want to know how my life is going to turn out. I, wanna, I want to read the last pages of the book. I don't know if any of you are like that, but I sometimes skip to the end of the book just to find out what happens so I can get, so I can have that assurance, so I can know, so I can have that security. What I've discovered over time, both on the cushion and off, is that the biggest problem is not the doubt. The biggest problem is not this sense of not knowing, of insecurity of uncertainty. The biggest problem is actually the part of our minds that thinks it's a problem. It's that resistance, that feeling that it shouldn't be this way. That if only I could know, then I would be okay. And that's, we just don't. We really, really don't. But For me, I know I find difficulty just sitting with and accepting the fact that I don't know. I like to pay attention to that part of my mind that says it's always going to be this way. I don't know something, and I'm never going to know the answer. It's always going to be this way. Whenever I hear that, in my mind, it's like a little uh, kind of bell goes off. And I think, "Uh, always, never. See if you can notice that in your practice, because any time there's this sense of always or never arising, it's 
It's a quality of um, making the state permanent. And it's not true. Things are not always going to be confusing. Things are not always going to be unpleasant. Things will change. This is the teaching of the Buddha. So as I've begun to look at where I get stuck in my resistance to the state, in wanting things to be clear, in wanting things to be different, I've had some understandings. When I was having a really hard time, I called up a friend of mine and I said, I just am so confused. I don't know when I'm going to get my life together in a certain kind of way. This was a few years ago. And she looked at me and she uh, she didn't look at me. She was on the phone. But she said, Diana, you only ever get your life together for about five minutes. It comes together and then the conditions change. And then our life shifts in a new way. And if I can remember that, if I can remember the changing nature, the causes and conditions, the way things come and go, the way that there is uncertainty, aniyata, then I'm not feeling like there's something wrong. And I think that's, that's, the, that's the aversion that we need to catch to these states of not knowing, to this liminal space, the space of waiting, the space of what's going to happen out the other side, the space of being about to give birth in a certain way. In, um, in permaculture, they talk about the liminal space or the, the place where one ecosystem meets another ecosystem and where it meets in that, in that kind of area where it intersects is where it's the most fertile that actually the most kinds of interesting plants and um, sort of the different diversity of plants grow in that liminal space. So it's turning around this fear of not knowing, this fear of uncertainty, and realizing it's, it's a rich place, that we go in cycles, And that we need to have these places of confusion to sort of come out the other side. There's nowhere to go. You have to go into something in order to come out the other side. It's like when you have a glass of organic apple juice with all the little flakes in it, and it's just being shaken up. And you trust that it's going to sink to the bottom and get clear. But it's that period when when the... the little flecks are floating through the glass and you just, you don't trust. Not that we don't trust a glass of apple juice is not going to get clear, but it's that, that quality of mind that's just waiting for things to be different. Sometimes I look back at my journal entries when I feel most confused. When I, when I look back to times where I've been confused, And there are often times that were some of the richest times in my life. So there was a period of time where I um, went to work at a school in India. And I didn't know if I should be there. I felt very confused. 
When, later on, I realized that it was the perfect place for me to be. And when I look back in my life and I think to this time, I think, oh, this was exactly where I needed to be. When I look in my journal, it says, what am I doing here? Where am I going? This is the wrong place. How do I know? what?" It... So it's, it's often our perspective gets warped or confused. Actually seeing the truth of things is when we're willing to sit in our practice and in our life and know that this is how it is. That it is uncertain. That things are unclear. That we don't know what's going to happen in our body and mind. That things can change in any second. It's completely unpredictable. When we can sit in this place, we can open to this reality and see it as the gift that it really is. It's like I want to go on a crusade to make uncertainty a place of normalcy. Like it's normal to be uncertain rather than something that there's wrong wrong with it. One of my friends went to talk with um, Sokmi Rinpoche, who some of you know. He's a Tibetan monk. Um, he's wonderful, wonderful teacher. He's been practicing for many years. And he wrote this letter about the experience to me. I still remember my interview with Sokni in Nepal a few years ago. When I asked him about my sense of never fully knowing what's the right choice or path, never being totally certain that this is the right choice, he looked at me, and this is this Tibetan Rinpoche's years and years of practice and experience. He looked at me and said very simply, I too sometimes ask myself these same questions, but that's what life is. This untangible arising of contingency supported by a sea of emptiness. That's beautiful and a little... (laughs) So I like to remind myself that I'd rather sit in the truth of things than be comfortable. I'd rather sit with the reality of uncertainty than feel good. Because when I'm sitting in the truth, then I'm sitting in the Dharma. I'm sitting in what's real. I'm not lying to myself in any way. I'm having courage. I'm willing to face the truth of this moment. And the truth, according to the Buddha, is that things are uncertain. That life is like a bubble, like a rainbow. Like one of the one of the analogies I love is writing on water. It just it's gone. Or how about this one? Painting in the air. Throwing paint into the sky. Where does it go? This is what our life really is. There's that old story of Ajahn Chah and his teapot where he says, um, where he seems very attached to this beautiful glass teapot, Ajahn Chah, the forest master, Thai forest master. 
And someone set, comes up to him and says, Ajahn Cha, you seem very attached to that teapot. That doesn't seem right for a Buddhist meditation master. And he said, well, the difference between you and me is that in my case, I know that it's already broken. <laughs> this is a depth of understanding that we can aspire to of knowing in each moment the full uncertainty in which we live, the truth in which we live. And it's actually exhilarating when you really see it, when you really touch it. It's frightening. It's scary. And I know the times in my meditation practice where I've really felt, like I think I've really felt it, it's kind of blown me open. There's a teaching story that Joseph uses that I love, which is about a person is in the airplane. This is It's to describe this feeling of really tapping into the uncertainty. So a person is in an airplane, and they realize they have to jump out. And they have a backpack on them, which is a parachute. And as they jump out of the, of the um, airplane, suddenly they realize that the parachute is broken. And they're just in free fall, and they're going down, down, down. And this incredible sense of terror arises. And then suddenly they look down and realize that there's no ground. So you can think about that one. (laughs) We can take some time to discuss this among us. Any thoughts or comments, questions? Because I live in that uncertainty, it's almost as though I don't want to know what I know. Because mm-hmm. I have all this fear. I don't know how to manage the fear. It's a, it's a great question. And she said she lives in the uncertainty, and it's there's this quality of not wanting to be with it because it's so scary, right? Sorry if this is a depressing talk. <laughs> um, I think that we can only open up to the fearful aspect of it as much as we can handle, in a way. So it's like, it's like if you really lived like Ajahn Chah, from this place of completely knowing it, it's, it's like he's gone into the fear and come out the other side into a place of sort of acceptance and also the joy of it, I think. So... I think that fear can turn in a way, but I would I wouldn't recommend. It's like when you're practicing and fear comes up in your in your experience. For me, I don't necessarily charge right into it if I'm not in a place where I'm ready to handle it. So sometimes it is useful to settle back, go into some other kind of experience in the body or mind. And sometimes avoidance is actually it can be a really useful practice if we're not ready to fully, you know, be present with the fear. I don't know if other people have thoughts or suggestions. It's a a hard one, really. I bought a new Apple computer the other day. Mm -hmm. Big screen. I was looking really forward to this computer. This upgrade was really going to change things. 
his nickname was Buddha. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, this feels good. Yeah. Uh-huh. So uh, it started out really nice, and you know, I, I brought in my old one to get fine-tuned. I was going to give it to my daughter. And there was just so much certainty there that things were going to work out well until some of the glitches started to materialize. And I spent all this money only to be told that one of these uh, platforms that I used for trading securities was not compatible with this unit, even though uh, he had looked, up, looked it up on the web. And so here I'm, I'm, I'm at home sitting with this fancy, which now looks like it's going to be a paperweight. Uh, all this money spent. And then I get a phone call saying that they figured it out. And, and, and plus we get called the experts at Schwab, and they said, oh, no, it's not going to, we're sorry, it's not going to work with them. Mm-hmm. So the Buddha called me back. <laughs> they figured it out. And he said, just bring in your computer. And so I brought in the computer. And then we forgot the disk. So my son had to run and get the disk. And I didn't think this ever would be resolved, but he made it work. And uh, it, it was kind of interesting. He said, you, you lost faith in me. He says, I'm a little disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to hell and back with this thing from uncertainty to certainty a few different mm-hmm. times. And, I, I'm sure many of you have had similar experiences with different things, but it's always, in, and I'm watching myself do this. I'm outside myself watching how I'm reacting, mm-hmm. uh, going from each state. As you said, you know, you're comfortable with one and not the other. You have an aversion when it doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. This is not gonna, so the end of the story is the Buddha came through. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> That's a great story, thanks. <laughs> Say a bit more then about the difference between doubt as one of the hindrances and then this view of just living with doubt as uncertainty. Mm. Yeah, thanks. Um, so the doubt that we traditionally think about <coughs> as a hindrance is when you're when you're Sitting and suddenly the thought, oh, am I doing this right? I, I think, uh, you know, you're questioning. You're, que- you're questioning everything. You start to lose faith in yourself, your faith in your practice. It's sort of, it's, um, it's a hindrance because it obscures and confuses the mind. It's not seeing reality um, truthfully. Uh, so that's why it's considered to be a hindrance. Uncertainty, on the other hand, is more... It's seeing the nature, the un- the uncertain nature of things. It's it's not um, it's not doubting the experience. It's more like uh, let's see. It's it, <laughs> sorry. Um, it, it's it's the quality of knowing that things 
can never be really known. It's like it's like a deeper knowing than that doubt. That doubt is sort of a superficial confusion, where this is the deeper knowing of the truth, of a truth that the Buddha actually talked about, this truth of uncertainty. Does that, does that clarify? Okay, great. Yeah. Somebody, oh, how about you? <laughs> Actually, um, where you, the conversation has gone has <clears throat> brought me to um, thinking about this book that Sharon just wrote on um, faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she had talked about kind of a difference between the kind of doubt that leads away from investigation and leads towards contraction versus a doubt which might lead us towards investigation and kind of looking because of the doubt that it would encourage curiosity and investigation into our experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a helpful that's a helpful distinction. I mean, there's there's a lot of distinctions of different kinds of doubt in your practice. You know, there's well, there's different kinds of faith. There's like the blind faith, and then there's healthy doubt. So there's so there's <clears throat> doubt that it's useful to have this kind of doubt because it brings it makes you examine more closely. I mean, I think that's what you're what you're referring to. Yeah. Slightly different. I mean, doubt is slightly different than uncertainty. So I th- I'm hoping we clarified that. There, I saw two hands. Two different. Were you raising your hand? No. Okay. Someone over here? Yes. Yeah, I was just going to say on the same subject that I often experience doubt as actually the resistance to that don't know That's great. Uh-huh. That's great. Yeah, isn't it amazing how hard it is to <laughs> admit we don't know? Maybe the next couple of questions I'll just say, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. You mentioned fear, you know, and how like you know, maybe to back away from it until you're in a comfortable spot. What I've noticed is that um, um, ordinarily fear doesn't give you that option, you know, like mm. you're in a car and you're driving, you're not to be in an accident, well, you're scared, but you're not going to be able to back out of it. It's just the way things are. But uh, in relation to practice, um, fear comes up and uh, there's an aspect of my mind speaking personally, that um, that doesn't want to to know, that wants that wants to remain in ignorance. Mm-hmm. That that wants to every time, whoa, you know, take the back door, side door, trap door, any kind of door, and get out of there. And uh, but all I get is is ignorant. I mean and, and, and actually looking in retrospect saying I had a, I had a, a moment to, to, to actually understand or to penetrate in some way my own neurosis or whatever you want to call it. Um, and and I, I, I ran away. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, I, I, I took off. You know, so it's kind of like a, um, you have a student who never wants to go to school, you know, <laughs> that runs away from the teacher every time. Mm. 
So it's a fear to, it's a fear of facing the fear? Well, you know, like you're saying, and you, you can go into being frightened and then if you're not ready for it. Well, I, I don't think I'm ever going to be ready for, you know, mm-hmm. for fear. I mean, that's the whole aspect of it is my reaction, gut reaction, take off, mm-hmm. disappear. There are uh, fears that do come up in practice, and uh, the little fears that, that have been challenged have been Undescribable comfort as, as a reason, and it wasn't. Uh, it, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't this problem that I thought it would be. Mm. So there's fear arising at times, and then the usual instinctual reaction is to run as far away as possible. But you've had experience of occasionally going into it and finding that it wasn't that bad in a way. Or, and, it, and possibly there's been something transformative that's happened through facing it. Is that, am I yeah. saying yeah. correctly? So I, I think we have to be careful around sort of, people can take a very kind of warrior approach to to our fears. I need to sit with them. I need to go through them. And that can be very useful. But I also think that we sometimes have protections on ourselves. That it's it's that it, it, it's smart in a certain way to not jump directly into every fear because oftentimes we can get really slammed. But we need to be careful then of not getting too lazy and then, oh no, it's a fear, well, never mind, I'm just going to avoid that. So I would say, for one thing I would say is that you've now had the experience of it being really incredible when you've opened up to it. So you can hold that in your back of your mind and use that as encouragement. And then I would also say, and also somewhat to respond to the question that you asked earlier, is developing one's ground of faith and one's ground of trust helps with fear. And that's why Sharon's book is really wonderful for talking about how faith develops. But really, um, if you can come from a place of trust and acceptance, then it makes it easier to enter the fear rather than sort of standing on your own and just going forward and trying to get into it. Well, whatever I don't want to know is what I really want to know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very possible. I really don't want to know it. So you... <laughs> yeah, those are great questions, hard questions. Yeah. Um, a couple years ago, I read this article in the New York Times about, um, they did this study about what poor predictors we are of what we think our future states of mind will be. In other words, people that look forward to something that they really thought was going to make them happy, some big career accomplishment or some relationship. In the end, it didn't necessarily, you know, make, I mean, it it may have changed their life, but it didn't noticeably make them a lot happier, winning the lottery. Mm. Nor did um, all of the things that people held in fear and were afraid of. Mm when some of those losing a job and things like that or a divorce, that um, over time people sort of come 
come back to their sort of normal state. And so the article is sort of saying, you know, we, we you know, addressing this idea of uncertainty, it's, um, it's in our mind. Mm. It's really in our mind. That's great. Thanks. That's helpful. Yeah. When do you end? <laughs> I usually run around nine. Okay. Does anybody have a burning comment? <laughs> We're getting close. I don't know if I should do this. It's the last one. <laughs> one of the examples in my life that um, was of where I had to, where a fear came up and I was afraid, and I knew I had to go and do it anyway, was when my son was born. I don't think there's many parents who don't have at least nagging moments of fear about whether you're really up for this or not, or whether it's going to be all right. But like it won't go away, it's going to still be there tomorrow. And um, it was a great lesson to see that I can do it anyway, because you just have to go moment by moment, and gets older and he gets older and older and older and it works. You know, what do you know? <laughs> so now I have a granddaughter. <laughs> and it's easier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, on that note, let's uh, just do a moment of dedication. So as we're sitting here before we end, know that there is nothing you can know for sure. You don't know what will happen in the next moment. And actually, that is a kind of freedom. It's a freedom in seeing the truth of the way things are and surrendering, not trying to fight it, not resisting it, but having the courage and strength to be with uncertainty. So may the merit of our practice here May it penetrate into all things and may it benefit beings in all realms, increasing happiness, decreasing suffering, and engendering the awakened heart and mind.